You're listening to WPAI, a podcast about the advancements of AI within WordPress. My name is Moritz Bappert, and I've been building custom WordPress websites for the past 10 years. I'm passionate about product development and excited about the inspiring people I will be interviewing. Join me on my quest to gain a holistic understanding of all the AI developments within the WordPress space. Today, I'm speaking with Josh Koenig, who co-founded Pantheon in 2010. They are an innovative web host for Drupal and WordPress sites. Since the beginning, Josh has worked his way out of coding and now leads their product team. With his long experience as a tech founder and in the WordPress field specifically, I found it interesting to ask Josh about his views on the direction of WordPress and AI. He compares the current AI tools like ChatGPT to having 1,000 interns who can do things for you. But don't let me spoil it with too many details. Enjoy our conversation. Hi, Josh. Welcome to the WPAI podcast. Happy to be here. Thanks for inviting me. We are going to talk about AI today in the WordPress context. So, Josh, can you tell us a little bit about your recent experience with AI? Yeah, we've been looking at, uh, you know, for a little while, various applications of some of the, the new LLM capabilities that are out there. You know, we've done projects in the past to explore the value of AI in the context of content management. The most developed thing we did was a joint project with a large client of ours a while back that used Google's image vision AI. This was circa, you know, 2017, I think. And they were opening up their website for user-generated content. They wanted a way to safeguard against people uploading images that shouldn't be part of their website. And so basically they were able to use the image searches algorithm to quarantine potentially NSFW content so that, a, you know, an editor could review it. And it, it worked, right? That was actually a very practical application of the AI and helped their editorial team scale um, much more rapidly than they would be able to otherwise. You know, and so now you have this rising cohort of models which have uh, pretty impressive text generation capabilities. I think there's two things that are really interesting. Uh, one is kind of quietly, along with the ability to, to generate large amounts of text, these models are much better able to interpret a prompt. Like that in and of itself is actually quite an innovation. So, you know, the ability to say, you know, write me a sonnet versus write me a haiku versus write me something, you know, in the style of Jay-Z. Right, you can get the same content delivered in these three different styles and people get really excited about the fact that the model can generate different style text. But I think it's actually equally exciting that the model understood the, or pseudo understood the prompt, right? Um, and so there's a lot of things that are, that are very interesting in the realm of what these models can do to classify and collate information. I think the reality is that the generative text component is going to be useful for generating, you know, average text output, because it's based on an average of, you know, a lot of internet that was scraped, you know, applications that are just a slightly more fine-tuned version of copy and paste from ChatGPT3 are going to become table stakes, right? That's just going to be built into Google Docs and every other application where people are composing text. What's going to be really interesting is, can you find ways to leverage this technology to do something more specific and interesting than that? And the, the way that I like to think of it is, uh, you know, the ask yourself a question like, if I had a thousand interns, what could I do 
that would be otherwise inconceivable or too expensive. Because what these models are actually really good at is like doing kind of repetitive, relatively simple classifications. So one of the things we've been looking at is, is there a way to help with these models with content migrations? So moving from unstructured content you know, a legacy system that just has a bunch of output to something that is based on a structured database, right? Like there's, anybody's ever done like a big website migration. One way to do it is to like figure out the legacy system and map its content model to the new content model and write a bunch of scripts that, you know, perform various calculations and basically try to, you know, develop that over the course of days, weeks, sometimes even months to be able mm. to like shift the content from the old system to the new system. Well, with LLMs, it's conceivable that you could go about it the other way, which is just read the whole website and put it in the new model and doing it the way you would if you had like interns copying and pasting from the website into the, the new system. And but you can do it efficiently at scale. So it's just one example of trying to think outside the box of, uh, you know, just text generation as where the applications are with a lot of these new capabilities. Yeah, this is a viable use case. I mean, we as an agency have been doing lots of migrations and some of them bigger with like hundreds of subpages of contents. And yeah, you would have interned for doing that. But yeah, even better if you can save those dreadful hours and tedious work <laughs> for, for the AI and be done with it. Because as you said, mapping out from some legacy system all the, the content to go into the new WordPress website, for example, is, is really lots of work and also prone to, to errors. So to summarize that, at the current state, AI is mostly used, or at least if you're talking about ChatGPT, for repetitive work and, and work that can be broken down into simple steps, I suppose. But what if you think about further into the future, which potential use cases could you see or where do you think might AI be really helpful in the end? So I think one of the most interesting proofs of concept that I've seen recently was the work that Human Made did or the demo that they built around having essentially a prompt-based WordPress like Gutenberg interface. So instead of using the Gutenberg interface, which is very powerful, but also it's fairly complicated as most powerful tools are, uh, you know, augmenting that with a prompt that you where you could say, Give me a three column layout with a, you know, a big hero image. And you could also fill in the text if you wanted, but actually the, the breakthrough of let me have a conversation with my WP admin interface and get a complex page layout as a result. I think things like that have a lot of potential where you're essentially having a AI based agent interface with software for you on your behalf. That is very interesting. And it's funny because I know people who have worked in the past 10 years on various, you know, failed attempts to build like virtual assistants and other things like that. And, you know, that's a, to me, that's one of the things to watch. Like if, if you can actually get a software agent to manage your calendar effectively or book a vacation effectively, then that's a real practical breakthrough that potentially has quite a lot of merit. And, uh, and that to me will be a sign that the technical capability of the LLMs have found a real practical application. And so like, you know, in our mm -hmm. world, the, the version of that would be your entry level web developer who would have, you know, historically been someone who's like Googling documentation and then, you know, using a complex piece of software to assemble a new web page or figure out what plugin to use so on and so forth. Like that could be something that an AI would be able to accomplish, you know, you still have these questions around, it absolutely needs oversight. 
So would it really work if you had, you know, it's just a sort of a non-technical business owner putting stuff into the prompts? Like if it, what if it gets it wrong? Like there's still, there's, again, that's why it's a really cool demo and not yet like putting web developers out of, out of jobs as a class, but it's, it's definitely an interesting direction. Yeah. I'm excited about those applications as well. Where it gets interesting is if AI really deeply integrates with the system. So as an example that you have your AI agent that can do stuff inside WordPress for you. Yeah, I'm also interested to hear more about how it's possible to, to build these bridges, integrating systems with AI, because what we currently see mostly is just putting some chat GPT interface into WordPress in some way, and things only get started with like deeper integration. I'm going to have Joe Hoyle, who also helped develop the plugin on my podcast as well. So I'm definitely going to ask him questions about the integration of the two worlds. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's another place where, again, you know, for, for WordPress and other open source projects, you know, that people have raised concerns. And I, I don't think in, it's incorrect to be concerned about models being trained on open source code and, you know, raising potential questions around the you know, what licensing concerns you would have for generated code, et cetera. But it's also certainly the case that it's an advantage for open source systems that you can easily train models on them versus mm. systems that are not, that are proprietary. You know, it's always like any a private concern could, could, could certainly go and do that. But the fact that the, the open source models now have knowledge of the open source systems augurs for those, um, th that type of software being more easily integrated in kind of, you know, if you think of a, a world where AI is, you know, software agents basically replace APIs as we think of them now, like they're still probably using APIs under the hood, but like as the interface that humans think about, that's just going to happen much more rapidly with open source tool than, than without. That's what Matt Malenwick has been repeatedly saying as well, that yeah, in the end, at least with those models reading, like all, all of the internet, all of the open source code and so forth. Open source is going to be the future because that's the thing that AI is going to be able to work with and, and build solutions with. Yeah, I think, I think that's, that, that there, there's, there's truth in that. It's probably also true that proprietary systems that have very good APIs and very good API documentation will receive some of the same benefits. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So let's talk a little bit about your company, Pantheon IO. What, what are the talks? with your employees or with your team about nowadays regarding AI? So I think, you know, we're, we're in the, like I said, kind of in the exploratory phases of looking for these applications. So you think about what, what Pantheon does for our customers, you know, as you pointed out, like we, we run their websites, right? We're a, we're a web host and that's important. What really differentiates us, what makes us special and unique is we help uh, teams develop websites more quickly. And we help large organizations manage large portfolios of websites, multiple teams, et cetera, et cetera. So our, our, our actual, you know, specialness is in sort of on the human side, right? It's, it's really about helping people adopt better processes, work more effectively. And then, you know, that we connect that with the, the running of the website, because then we can kind of offer guarantees around the workflow that otherwise wouldn't be possible. And so there's interesting questions around, could we train models on effective web development, software development workflows and, you know, offer people, uh, you know, tips or coaching like in, in our software to help them to be better 
you know, web developers to build better web operations teams. That's one interesting idea. Um, yeah, I mentioned before, like working more closely with customers around some of their applications, you know, internally people are just like excited about it, right? We've, we've got a lot of engineers, they're, they're definitely enthusiastic. So there's like a couple of Slack channels where people are just like dropping in different, you know, side projects or, or things that they've, they've hacked on. The design team ran a contest to try to like revamp our, uh, one of our, our, our logos using AI as a thing, which was kind of fun. So I think, you know, it, again, like I, I think we're, we're, we're all as an industry, we're all in a space where we've got a, what is a clearly a very powerful set of new tools that are becoming widely available for the first time. And, and we're also in search of the killer app, right? Uh, you know, just being able to do what chat GPT does is very interesting. And it's certainly exciting, but it's, it's still a ways away from the practical application that will really, really deliver a lot of value because today, like, as you just read the headlines, right? Like if you're a lawyer and you try to use jet chat GPT to write you a brief, you're going to get disbarred. Like it's not going to work. It's not, it's not there yet. And it may, it may never actually be there because the way the technology works, isn't designed to produce authoritatively correct outcomes. It's, it's a very, very sophisticated autocomplete. So, so yeah, so I, th I think where we are with Pantheon internally is kind of looking at where we could apply this stuff. And I think, you know, the, the most promising things that we've come up with thus far are in helping customers who have a lot of content classify and organize that content better um, and potentially migrate the content from system to system. But that's still, again, not, not a killer app. That's just a promising thread of research. Yeah, sure. Yeah, you said something interesting. I mean, mentioning that the AI abilities are still lacking to really build some killer apps. Do you think we, we don't come up with more interesting use cases right now because our abilities with the current tools are limited? Or how do you see that? I think that's an interesting question. So no, I actually, I, I don't think it's that the tools are too limited. I think that the, it takes time for people to figure out what the the real applications are, and then beyond figuring them out, like build that into a real system or real software. You know, uh, a mentor of mine told me when I was just starting out was, you know, well, you get really excited about new technology, but the real impact happens when the technology sort of fades into the background. And it's just now something mm -hmm. different is happening in the world as a result of the technology. And we're clearly a ways away from that with the current wave of, of AI tools. And so I think sometimes people get overly excited about the technology, imagine a lot of applications that are beyond what the current tools can accomplish. And therefore like they go down a bunch of like blind alleys, but you know, you can't really say like who's right and who's wrong. You're going to try a lot of things, I think. So I don't think it's a, so much a factor of the tools not being good enough. Like there are certainly some limitations with the text generation around how much text it can generate and how many tokens it can hold if you're trying to do iterations and so forth. That'll get better and better, but that's not going to fundamentally change what it's capable of. It'll just mean that it's able to work with larger and larger blocks of text. I like your perspective on that. Just experimenting to find the really interesting use cases. Looking at Pantheon, are hosting companies already utilizing AI and automated infrastructure? And if so, how? It's an interesting question. Like at what point does highly sophisticated automation and artificial intelligence, right? Those are become a gray area, right? Personally, I think the term artificial intelligence is itself somewhat problematic because again, it sets expectations that are not necessarily accurate. I prefer to talk about machine learning. And so machine learning is a much better mental frame in my mind because 
it's important to remember that these tools can only do what you teach them to do. They're not going to solve problems you haven't solved. You can teach them to solve problems you know how to solve very efficiently and at scale. So there are people in the, in the broader, you know, systems observability and automation space that have used machine learning in, in various contexts to help oversee large scale infrastructure. So like, you know, you have like monitoring and alerting for things, you know, so that you know when to take action to, you know, service a system and do so at a very large scale. You know, again, I think you would, you would sort of say almost machine learning as, as a way of identifying trends and patterns and noticing anomalies and so on and so forth. That's actually fairly well-trodden ground at Pantheon internally. You know, I would say we have a, a algorithm that helps us manage the infrastructure at, uh, autonomously. So like we don't actually have our systems engineers doing anything with servers, right? The hands-on it's, it's, it's all managed by software and we shift workload around and move people's websites and add and remove capacity that all happens without human intervention. So you could argue that's a kind of a, a primitive form of artificial intelligence. If you think about applications in our world on the, on the infrastructure side, you know, Again, I think it's going to come down to probably there's some efficiencies that we could be gaining if we were, if our algorithms were, were much better, but there it's all, that's not really a big gap for us right now. I think, mm. you know, again, kind of like what I mentioned before, if you really want to make things run better, the big area for improvement is mostly on the application side within the customer's project, you know, so like we do a lot to help people have high performance websites, fast websites, but we can't control the way that they structure their pages and what JavaScript tags they put in and because it's their website, right? But that actually is, you know, 90% of, you know, if you're on good infrastructure, then it's all about optimizing, you know, that side of things. And it's not something that a lot of web developers have a lot of experience with, but it is also incredibly formulaic. You can teach a machine how to make front-end performance suggestions for, for an application and, and perhaps even do some auto-optimization. So, you know, there's, there's perhaps some things that could be done there. I don't know of anyone that's actually done it using AI. Like Cloudflare has an interesting mm. product that tries to just make a bunch of smart assumptions, but I don't, I think it's just a simple like rules engine. I don't think it's using artificial intelligence. But this is an interesting use case. I mean, there's lots of uh, performance optimization tools already, but if really hosters build this into the, the core of their systems, then this could have a huge impact in terms of, yeah, like loading speeds, but also less CO2 produced in the end. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, that's, it's all comes down to like more efficient use of compute resources because the least efficient use of computing resources is when you're waiting on some other computer, like a network wait or a waiting on a, something to come off of a, a, of a disc, right? So if you can get around a lot of those things, then you will burn less energy to deliver the same you know, experience or result. And, I, and again, I think it's the sort of thing where you could liberate uh, developers from needing to be, you know, having to have that as an area of their concern, because it's, it's the sort of thing where performance engineering is a very real subspecialty, but it's, it requires effort. And like, you have to invest time and expertise in getting good at that in order to be able to do it effectively. And not that many web developers have the time or the inclination to do so. Hmm. So you already talked a little bit about what you're doing with Pantheon, but are you actively like looking at any AI features that you could add to the platform? So, you know, candidly, we don't, we don't have an AI feature on our roadmap, right? So there's not like a mm. thing that we're planning to ship in the fall or anything where it's like, 
you know, Pantheon's AI powered blah. We are, we are actively looking at where there are these practical applications. Uh, and, at, you know, it, in a world where we do build something that we feel like could deliver value to customers, then it would, we definitely fast track that. It's a hot topic right now. But I think there's marginal value in being in the hype cycle by creating a rather non-differentiated AI capability. So like yet another way to have ChatGPT write you a blog post is not something we're interested in developing. Yeah, I agree on that. So what I'd like to hear from you would be what capabilities of AI are really usable for web creators today? It's a good question. So the, the generative capabilities are very useful, right? They're just not a replacement for creativity. So, you know, having the ability for a model to draft something for you so for people, especially for people who, who have writer's block or who, you know, if you give them a, a poorly written thing, they'll turn it into a well-written thing much faster than if you give them a blank page. Um, that's very real for sure. The, the image generation capabilities are certainly uh, useful for, for people who are looking to, you know, who, you know, it, want to do better than just having stock photography as that go to go along with, uh, with some of their content. Like those are very practical, real applications now. And I think, you know, what, what's, uh, on the one hand, it's like, great, we can make better stuff, but because it's automatable, you can observe what's happening more is low quality content is being produced at large scale. And I, I mean, I think there's, uh, there's definitely drawbacks and downsides to that, that I think it's not good for the web to have a lot of, you know, Clickbait content was already not good, right? It doesn't add value. And, you know, now we're just going to get how much clickbait could you generate if you had a thousand interns? A lot. Um, and I think we're already seeing that as one of the first applications, which is kind of a shame, but it's also kind of predictable. So we'll, we'll have to deal with it. But in terms of like, you know, for creatives and web developers today, I think like these are fun tools to like engage with and, hmm. and get like a, a little bit of a creative spark going. The question is, if you want to make something really interesting and, and that, that can actually break through the noise, you have to go beyond just like writing clever prompts and like mashing things together. Mm. You have to add something of your own because the truth is that anybody can write clever prompts and mash them together. That's going to become the new baseline. If you want to be able to differentiate and stand out beyond that, you have to add something extra. And disregarding the content of a website, do you see the task of a developer to really build something, to develop a website on its own, go away or be replaced by AI? Like all of our websites going to be built by AI at some day? I think there is a plausible future where the interface to constructing a website primarily becomes a prompt and for a certain, for, uh, up to a certain level, right? And, and then the question is always going to be, well, if the prompt isn't giving you exactly what you want, can you open it up? and then fine tune the details. And, and I think that, yeah, again, as we talked about before with AIs being able to train themselves on open source systems, that feels very plausible. So I don't think it's going to be the, uh, the case that AI will make the websites, but I think it's, it could be the case that low level web development may be, you know, in the same way that before content management systems, you wrote HTML and that was your job as a web developer. Right. You know, now you have uh, a class of web developers who are essentially like content management system operators, right? They use these fairly powerful and complex tools called CMSs to create websites. Some, some of the like more repetitive and, and kind of low end portion of that work. Well, it won't be that the web developers go away. It'll just be that they'll kind of move up the stack. And so it'll, you know, the question, if you're a web developer will be, you know, are you someone who can go in and fine tune things when they're not 
it's not coming out exactly right? Or are you someone who's working, you know, you do, you become more of a software developer for the web where you're creating mm -hmm. more capabilities and components that then these prompts drop mm -hmm. in as part, you know, with or without the prompt, like that's already a thing that's happening. Like, is my job to drag and drop mm -hmm. blocks around a page or is it to figure out what blocks should be available to be drug and dropped? Mm -hmm. So it's rather leveraging AI in a smart way and orchestrating all of the AI tools get to a good end result. Yeah, I, I think so. You know, when I was back in my consultancy days, I had a, a client who was uh, down at, at Stanford who had been, mm. you know, he was a, sort of a, a tenured figure there and he had been, uh, you know, in the computer science group there in the, in the late 1970s and early 1980s. And he was telling me the stories about when compilers became a thing. Right. And there was a big debate. Like, can you trust the computer to compile the code? That used to be our job. So we could make sure it was done right. And, and the way the computers are doing it doesn't make any sense. It runs, but it's, it's hard for a human to interpret. And, and like within a year or two, it was just very clear that, that like, no, this works. Like, let the computers do this part of the work. We're going to move on to writing better code instead of trying to get mm. it to compile. And so, you know, that I think there's, it's not exactly the same, but there's something in that where the machine operable part of the task becomes operated by the machines, that uh, doesn't mean the humans just go away. It means the humans will be able to focus on, frankly, more interesting and important work. Yeah. And I find that really exciting because, I mean, all of the tedious groundwork you don't need to do yourself then anymore. It's rather about like, yeah, thinking about the strategy and, and good user experience and, and putting lots of laugh into these details, I guess. Yeah, that's right. And I think there's other, other aspects of it, you know, of, uh, I've seen some very interesting reports back around, you know, using tools like GitHub Copilot to develop a plugin, mm. for example. Right. And that, that actually works. Like there's value in that right now. Like you're still writing the plugin, but you're, you're getting to the interesting part a lot faster. Thanks to the fact that the AI can do a lot of the scaffolding for you and set everything up and help with like, again, the parts that are sort of grunt work or pro forma or tedious. In my experience, when using ChatGPT for help with coding problems, it came out that, of course, it's, it's good to have all that deep knowledge to really phrase the right questions, because if you aren't able to, to really ask the AI the, the right questions, you aren't going to get any good result, or at least not specifically the one that you imagined, I guess. Yeah, that's right. And I think uh, having the necessary and requisite knowledge to check the results. Right. There is no guarantee that the AI assistant is going to produce the right code. Like it's going to produce what looks like the right code. And very often that will be, but sometimes not. And if you're not able to validate and or debug that yourself, like we're not at the place where the AI just writes the software for you. Mm. One other interesting area that I would like to hear your opinion about would be uh, regarding content management systems. Do you see all of the different content management systems like Drupal or WordPress competing against each other with AI features? How do you see this going to play out? So I think that, you know, in the relatively short order, you're going to see the obvious capabilities and the obvious, you know, classification oriented capabilities become you know, built in to the systems or, or at the very least available in an open source contrib kind of context. And so that's nice, but really all that's doing again is reducing the level of effort to copy and paste between systems, which is not nothing, right? That's important. Mm. But the question is going to be, what is the real value of these things? And I sort of wonder if we won't see a redefinition of content management as these tools reach maturity. 
you know, in the same way that you can have, uh, you know, this idea of a prompt based layout builder, that's about like the assembly of a particular experience. There's also a lot of work that goes on within content management systems to, to essentially create an information architecture, maintain that, you know, mm. classify things to allow you to have lists, feed things into search indices. And, and, you know, the job of a content management system is to manage content. And I think in a world where people are increasingly interested in headless architectures because they're separating the concerns of content management from delivering an end user experience, I think that there's more potential unbundling with content management and content creation. Like Gutenberg is definitely a really good tool, freely available and open source to the world for composing rich posts. But I still know like a lot of people copy and paste their content from somewhere else into that. And so the ability for AI to a way of integrating systems that currently have a copy and paste gap today, not just like, oh, you mm -hmm. know, copy and pasting from chat GPT, but having AI be able to fill in the gaps and, you know, so that content management and content creation, actually mm -hmm. separate jobs and people can use the tools that they really prefer for content creation. And, you know, with a little bit of AI in between someone else whose job it is to manage an awful lot of content can let that happen wherever it wants to happen and still be able to manage the content. And then someone else can turn that content and all of its structure and organization into really great user experiences. That's not just about AI. That's about a whole lot of other things. But I think of, you know, the AI as a way of accelerating the types of integrations and unbundling and rebundling that is possible via APIs, like it could really facilitate that kind of future. Yeah, I could really imagine having a layer on top of a current CMS that is an interface for you to, yeah, really create all the content, like put the AI in there. And then what gets output in the end is, is fed into these different kinds of systems. So also, yeah, more of a headless approach, but even maybe a different interface for all the content creation. I think, you know, the thing that I would look for is approaches that allow creators to use the tools that they prefer, because those are often not CMSs. Mm -hmm. And so if you can allow creators to use the tools they prefer for their work, then you're going to improve their productivity and effectiveness and also eliminate a potential place for things to get messed up, lost in translation, or, you know, simply human error in the copy and pasting to, to create issues. Mm. Getting back to WordPress specifically. What question would you ask Matt Malmwick if you could regarding AI developments within WordPress? That's an interesting question. One of the challenges with AI is that it's very computationally intensive. And so to the extent that it is not now or in the foreseeable future, something that you would ship and run alongside WordPress, wherever that's running in an open source context, how much risk is there to the open nature of WordPress if more and more of these capabilities depend on, you know, reaching some third party service, you know, whether that's run by automatic or someone else, it's still a service and not open source. So I'd just be curious if how much of a risk he thought that was to the .org side of WordPress, I guess. Hmm. Cool. So uh, let's wrap this up. Thank you very much for being here, Josh. It was a pleasure to talk to you. And yeah, let's see whether we run into each other at some conference or we'll talk again in one year and topics are going to be totally different about AI. Yeah, yeah. We can come back to our notes and say like, wow, we really missed that. But thanks. <laughs> thanks for inviting me on. It's a, it's a pleasure to have the conversation and best of luck with the podcast. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to my entire conversation with Josh König. 
Here are some of my takeaways. A much more descriptive term for what's recently become known as AI is machine learning. Large language models can't solve what hasn't been solved before. Tools as ChatGPT are basically a very sophisticated autocomplete. Nevertheless, Josh sees current AI tools as really helpful in doing some of the boring and tedious work for us. As a result, humans will be able to focus on the more interesting and important work. However, AI tools won't replace experts yet. Only people with expertise in a particular area will be able to ask the right questions and evaluate the quality of the results. Before we get AI to solve bigger problems for us, we must endure the huge wave of low-quality content being thrown at us at a massive scale. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave me a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify and share this episode with your friends. I'm always happy about your feedback and questions. Simply send me a message on LinkedIn. And please don't hesitate to tell me which topics or guests you'd like to hear in future episodes. Next week, I'll have the pleasure of hosting Tammy Lister, who works as a WordPress developer at Impsight and previously worked on UX design for the Gutenberg editor at Automatic. We'll talk about how AI is pushing the boundaries of art, design and development. And we'll discuss how AI could become deeply ingrained into our lives in the future. Don't forget to subscribe to get notified about the upcoming episodes. Until next time, your host, Moritz Bappert.